You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Ots and Audibles podcast. Eric Scopel here along with Jared Mack. Matt Preem is on vacation again. Lucky guy. He's basically been on vacation for a month straight. I don't know how he's so heavy swimming. We need need to talk to our supervisors about this. Doesn't seem fair. But uh, we are bringing on for our uh, pre 4th of July fireworks, we're bringing on 24 7 Sports National Recruiting Analyst Cooper Patagna. Uh, thanks for joining us on the show, Coop. I appreciate you guys having me. I'm, I'm surprised we haven't done this before already. Yeah. Seems I, like I will, it makes a lot of sense. It, it, it does. And I'm just going to push the buck to Matt because he's usually in charge of getting the guests here. And he, apparently, apparently, he didn't think it was worthwhile. <laughs> just kidding. It's not really. Happy I, to be I here too. now, man. I am too. Yeah, man. No, it's, I'm excited to have you. For those listening, I'm sure you probably are familiar with Cooper's work if you watch. Uh, the 24-7 Sports Recruiting Show. He co-hosts that with Andrew Ivins. You guys do great work. Uh, breaking down commitments. I know after Jaquan McCroy's commitment a couple, a couple of days ago, you were you guys were both chatting about that for 30 minutes. I think that's a special on our podcast network too, uh, or on our feed, I should say. So you might have heard his work a couple of days ago. But we're going to start with something that I don't know if every listener is familiar. I think a lot of the diehards are. But before you began at 24-7, you were the director of recruiting at Oregon under Mario Cristobal in 2020. Just quick started off here. Uh, give us a snapshot about that, what that was, what you learned, and maybe what stood out from that experience. Yeah, well, I, I could go into that uh, for probably for a couple of days, man. I mean, it was <laughs> it was only a year, but uh, it was an experience. I mean, you throw in COVID and then, you know, my background before coming to Oregon, I was under Chris Peterson for two years at University of Washington. And then Jimmy Lake came in and kind of shook some things up and you know, before I knew it, it was a couple of weeks later, I ended up in Eugene and I was in a analyst capacity temporarily. Um, you know, I think at, at that time, you know, my ambition was after what had happened at Washington is that I, I wanted to, you know, try my hand in the NFL in the scouting circles. And, and uh, you know, so I, I had worked with Mario before at Alabama as an intern, which was, you know, the first job that I had ever held in college football. And, so there, there was a relationship there, and um, yeah, it came in. Kenny Sanders was there, and then after a week, Kenny Sanders had left. I had gotten offered the job. Uh, I went to the NFL Combine to kind of go explore my options, and on the plane, you know, I look at my phone, and all of a sudden, there's a uh, COVID outbreak in King County, right? So it kind of put it, it put everything on hold, made that decision a lot easier, and then just navigating that with our staff was. I mean, that that's an experience I think you always look back on and hope that you never have to experience again. Uh, but it, it, it makes you better in the long run. And that was certainly you look back on that 21 class and it's, you know, a lot of those guys is trans, transferred out, but I'm pretty proud of the work that we got to do in, in a short amount of time. Cooper, I want to say thanks again for coming on the pod. Uh, dig the vinyls in the background. I always love a good <laughs> little music guy. Um I just wanted to ask like another little personal piece for the listeners who maybe don't know it. Just what is the, what was the transition like from working for Mario, working for Oregon, working in college football to now, you know, going to 24 seven sports and holding that uh, national recruiting analyst role for the last couple of years. It's been pretty fascinating. You know, I mean, it's, it's funny because I, I signed on July 19th, uh, two years ago, almost two years ago, right. Uh, from the date. And if you go back and you look at, I think the first piece of content that I ever did, I think it was like a Wilfong whip around. I mean, it was like morbid. 
you know, so I think getting <laughs> getting used to the the camera, getting used to the microphone and then just getting the reps. I think that was the biggest thing. And then, you know, with the writing as well, it's taken a while for, I would say, the company on the editorial side from the content pr production side as well to feel each other out. So that's been that's been a, a process. And, you know, in terms of it's always funny. Everybody has so many like preconceived notions about the rankings, right? Of mm -hmm. course, as, as did I, and Mario used to talk about them all the time. So to get here and then to take a look under the hood and kind of see, all right, how, how is the sausage made and everything like that? Not only that, but be be a part of those conversations on a national level as well. It's been pretty fascinating and, you know, try to incorporate a lot of the things that, you know, I've experienced over the years in my career on the player personnel side and, you know, help us kind of move forward in our scouting and evaluation chops. So, it's been good. It's, uh, you know, I'm always quick to remind people it's an imperfect process. It's never perfect. Uh, we are not an NFL front office by any means from an experience standpoint and from a resources standpoint, right? So we do the best with what we got. And I think we're doing a good job. There's always places to be better, but it's been good, man. I think more than anything, it was another challenge in my life that I, I don't, like if you would have asked me at 23 years old, never in a million years, did I tell you, all right, five years from now, you're going to be the director of recruiting at Oregon. And then the next year you're going to opt out of that and you're going to get into media. Right. So you just, you never know uh, what the world holds. So it's been a, it's been a fun ride, man, but I'm, I'm enjoying it. What is that transition? Like though? it wasn't in our show notes, Coop. I'm, I'd be, I'm kind of curious of, of maybe being questioning or critical of recruiting rankings and then going on the other side. And, and now you're, as you said, kind of be protective of the rankings about understanding that they are imperfect and how it goes. Like, what was that process like for you of just maybe preconceived notions and then and seeing kind of maybe what it was more like when you when you got into the role you're in? Sure. I, I think it was more of all right, how do we how do we get here? Right? Like what what's our scope? What's our national scope? And I think the most difficult part of the rankings for a lot of people, especially if you ask our team, is is that not everybody's looking through the same scope. The scope of Brandon Huffman and Greg Biggins is going to be very different than Andrew Ivins, who's in Georgia and Florida, mm -hmm. right? The level of competition is going to be very different, right? It, you, you look at Oregon and the type of players they're bringing in. I think they have players from nine different states, right? 17 different commitments. And those guys span coast to coast, right? So, uh, you know, looking at a guy like Obadegwu at St. Francis in Maryland versus Aaron Flowers and in Texas and, and and so on and so forth, Jordan Anderson, like I'm just going through the commit list, but all those guys play different levels of competition and they're all different levels of athletes, right? So at the end of the day, I think a lot of people, especially the people that are on the outside looking in who might critique the rankings, what I've learned is we always need to be of the, have the presence of mind. Like we need to educate on the rankings. Not, not everybody knows that we project players to Sundays, right? Not, not about a first or second contract. It's more of what is your NFL draft potential? So when you do that with 16, 17 year olds, you're going to be more inclined to evaluate the athlete more than you are the player, mm. right? Because there's three to four years of, physical growth and maturation on and off the field that is yet to take place that factors into this process. So I get, I, I get calls from schools all the time, you know, guys that I used to work with at, you know, places that, that are at the tippy top and say, Hey, we don't see it the way you do. Well, we're not looking through the same lens and that's yeah. okay. Right. The way you might recruit for program X is different than how I have to scout for the company. Right. So 
a lot of different things go into it, a lot of different variables. And the other thing about this is not everybody has the same information accessible, right? And it, we, we talk about multi-sport athleticism. We talk about track and field. You take in the production as well, but genetics, age per class. I mean, there's a lot that gets baked into the cake here ultimately at the end of the day on how a guy gets their final ranking. I feel like we should take that video clip the last two minutes, clip it, and pin it to every message board on 24-7 <laughs> for all the complaints we get about this particular that topic. That would help so much. It'd be a lot easier. <laughs> so way, nice. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> and for those listening, now you have a little bit of background. When you're, And so maybe you don't have to be the one to complain when the next rankings come out and the guy from who's committed to Oregon slips or whatever happens. Um, I, I also think, Cooper, you have an interesting and unique perspective on what it's like to recruit to Oregon, which is not the case for all the guests we have on. We have had Tyler Dean on, we've had Marshall Malco on, we've had, you know, a lot of people involved in this process along with some assistant coaches, but now that you're kind of a step away from it, maybe you can provide, I don't want to say an unbiased, but a different viewpoint from someone currently employed by the school to talk about it. But what stood out about recruiting to Oregon, maybe in what ways did it sell itself? And maybe what were a couple of things where you felt like you had to really work on selling maybe more, more than others? I will try to give you a couple different lenses. I, I'll give you the lens from Washington first, right? Mm -hmm. And Washington, when you were competing against Oregon, especially when I was working for Chris Peterson and, and Mario was there at Oregon, it, it felt like, I don't know how you guys feel about that. There weren't that many head-to-heads. Yeah. There just weren't. There wasn't a lot of crossover. And that, that had more to do with the type of individual. I think each program decided to recruit, and that's not a negative on Oregon. That's not a negative on on Washington. I think each were just kind of their their separate ways there. I think the the one recruitment that I remember was Roger Rosengarden, right? And that was the yeah. one that we that we we kind of ran up against Oregon and a handful of others too, right? But um, you know, I think Oregon is the one place that you go to as a visitor around the Pac-12, and you know, I grew up in Louisiana. I went to LSU. Like I said, I worked at Alabama. It's the one place you go on the West Coast that you're like, this place has a SEC feel from the fan base passion to the environment to the 24-7, 365 uh, continued, continued monitoring throughout the year of everything that happens with Oregon football. It has a completely different feel, USC included, right? And USC has their diehards, but in terms of Oregon top down, you felt that level of, level of investment and level of what I liked, it was a hostile environment. I love going to play there. And that's the way college football should be, in my opinion. And it got your juices flowing a little bit. So that was the lens of, of Washington. I think Oregon, when you work there, there's so much to sell. Like, And a lot of people talk about the facilities. A lot of people want to talk about Phil Knight and they want to talk about Nike. But in terms of the resources, they're second to none. I've worked at a lot of different places. I've never seen facilities like the University of Oregon. And I think there's a there's a clear message there just in terms of, listen, you're in Eugene, Oregon, and I'm going to be straight with you guys. That's not appealing to everybody, right? But if you go to IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida, which is, if you're not familiar with IMG Academy, I mean, it's, it's essentially a high school program that recruits the best players in the country, develop develops them and gets them ready for the next level. Brian Niedemeyer is there. They have Prentice Gill, who's a name that a lot of people are familiar with. I'm not sure if he's still there or was there in the past, but they have a lot of high-level coaches there that are there to get these guys ready and coach up for the next level. Oregon, 
you know, I, we used to have conversations about this a lot internally. It's like, we are what we are. Let's lean into it. We have the best facilities in the country. We have a really good coaching staff that we are, are really comfortable with that has a lot of experience. This place is about football, right? And us trying to accomplish a goal together, but individually, you being able to accomplish everything that you want, which is be able to come get your degree and then on the field as well, being able to get developed and play on Sundays. And, you know, Mario did a good job with the guys of, of Herbert and, and Panay Sewell and Javon Holland and so on and, and, and so forth and handful of other names. Right. But in a way, I think it's a positive because you get the guys that are really, they're football oriented. They don't want the distractions, right? Like you hear McCroy on his, on his uh, interview yesterday, he, he didn't say a lot of words, right? But the words that he did say were one, he said it was cold, which I, I thought it was funny. The other part he said is like, you know, I'm, I'm just going up there to play football. Mm. Right? It's not about distractions. Mm -hmm. It's not about anything else. I think Aiden, Aiden Breland said the other thing, said that something similar the other yeah. day. Right. It's like, I'm going up there to get my education in football. So I think it all depends. And listen, like, different strokes for different folks, right? Some people might want to go play in LA. Mm -hmm. they, they, they want warm weather. They, they they want that surrounding. That's fine. But I think Oregon is in a very unique position on the West Coast to be able to maximize their brand. And listen, when they, it's, it's a super thin market in terms of top tackles. I'll use this as an example. There's not a lot of legit tackles out there. You know, we got Brandon Baker in the top 32. If it was up to me, he wouldn't be in there, right? But yeah. we like the player a lot. One of these guys is going to go in the top 32. And that's not a shot against him. But for Oregon to say, you know what? Hey, we can canvas the rest of the country. We're going to go down to Alabama. We're going to get a six foot eight, 365-pound tackle yeah. who's not perfect, but he's a good athlete. We can get him in our program, and Wilson Love can work with him. League Terry can develop him. He's got a seven foot one wingspan. He's got 36 and a half inch arms. You know, one other program in the pack can do that, USC. So, mm -hmm. and they're going to the Big Ten, right? So it's a huge advantage for Oregon, what I always love. Like, if we were in a pinch at Washington, you got to stay west of Texas. If you were in a pinch at Oregon, you can go to the DMV if you need to. Now, you better be careful, right? Like Jabril McNeil, he's not in school anymore, right? A handful yeah. of these other guys, like you can fall in love with the eye candy and all of a sudden, yeah, they're really good players, but you're flying all the way across the country to go get these guys where there might be a secondary option that's a little bit more familiar with the program. When things get hard, they can call their family and they're going to stay and they're not going to leave, right? So it's a little bit of a balancing act. And I know that's a loaded – loaded loaded answer um but that was my experience a lot more good than bad it's a really good cool. answer though cooper it's a really good yeah answer. it's thorough I'll, I'll, I'll try to ask a question that generates another thorough answer like that um with oregon's with their ability to go sell their program to guys you know east of the mississippi just and you working under mario and you you see what dan is doing from this from this uh, like 30,000 feet up perspective, just knowing a little bit of the inside course of what Mario did, just what are some of the biggest differences you see and maybe in terms of recruiting philosophy, in terms of team philosophy, just 
from from Dan to Mario, even though Mario himself was a heck of a recruiter and a good coach in his own right. Yeah, not a not a ton. You know, I saw Mario last week down in Miami and when I was down there for a conference, I went and stopped in and went and caught up with him. And it was funny. We went back over like, you know, our time at Oregon and what are the things that we would have done differently and all that type of stuff. Just revisionist history, trying to get better. And, um, you know, I would say this, what I've seen from Dan Lanning and Marshall Malkow and those guys, like, I don't know how differently it would be. Um mm-hmm. Like that's, that's what you want it to look like. And what I mean by that is like, and 21, I was just there a year and, and this is Mario's like philosophy. You know, he was always about the bigger bodies. I think that was evident, but being able to get the bigger bodies on the West coast is, is a huge advantage. Right. Right. But when you're getting them from the West coast, not only are you adding value to your team, but you're diminishing the value of everybody else in your conference. Right. So it's a, it's a it's a double plus. Right. You are absorbing a super thin market. Um, that being said, what they have done, like I'll just use 23. I'll try to stay away from 24. I love what they did in 23. I was a huge fan. And I'll get in the transfer portal here in a second. But, you know, like from a national standpoint, 10 guys in California, six in Texas. If, if I could go back, I wish we were more involved in Texas than we were. I thought there you know, were, was more accessibility there than maybe that we exploited. Um, you know, but from a height, weight, speed philosophy, I think a lot of people have this philosophy. Okay, we're, we're going to build our roster bigger, faster, stronger. Where programs separate is their, their relentlessness to that philosophy it's easy to go out there and say hey i'm gonna go i'm gonna target the seven eight best players right on the west coast and we'll see how we do it's another thing to go out there early eval a guy like dante daddle who ends up becoming a little bit of a darling late in the class a guy like johnny bowens yeah who should never get out of the state of texas right um you know and and you look at a lot of different positions. Tyler Turner, that was a really good pickup, right? You look at guys and especially what, what they did on the on the defensive line. I don't know who's building like that consistently, right? So if you do that over two to three cycles, where all of a sudden, even if you're what you're doing is you're 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 maximizing your hit rate and you're minimizing your misses. Because even in the Pac 12, if you have a functional athlete that maybe doesn't develop into the type of player that you think he's going to be. But from a height, weight, speed standpoint, he can give you depth. That's still a plus, right? So I'm a huge fan of what they did in 23. And then, you know, you think about some of the things that they did uh, transfer portal-wise, like, you know, Gary Bryant is a huge fan of, Tasheem Johnson, Jordan Birch. I mean, these are guys that, you know, for whatever reason, are back on the market. They're looking for a fresh start and out West just kind of seems to be the place to go to kind of isolate yourself. And like I mentioned earlier, just focus about focus on what's important. Right. And, you know, if I'm Dan Lanning, the biggest thing I'm saying is like, listen, I know I'm not there now, but Georgia had 25 players drafted over the last two years. That's more than any other program in, in college football history. I was a part of that. Right. And five of those players two years ago were all defensive players and they were all drafted in the first round. 
another record. He's got a lot to go on, man. So, um, you know, for him, keep the main thing the main thing. Miss smart. That would that would be uh, my advice. But like, he's got some really smart people in the building. Y'all mentioned like Marshall Malkow. That he, Marshall Malkow has been doing this for for a long time. You know, he's still relatively young, but he's he's been at Alabama. He's been at Georgia. He's been at Texas A and M. You look at all those places, they've been in really good position, especially talent, right? Like we did the – Bud Elliott did the blue chip ratio there, and you go look at those programs, you're all where you want to be. So, no, in terms of Dan Lanning doing anything different than what he's already done, no, not 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 much. I think he's, he's on the right course. I think these guys are on the right course. Um, you know, the only the, – the only thing for me that – I'm a huge proponent. Dante Moore, if they would have got that one done, I oh. think I, I would have been a, over the moon. I think that that guy would have been the the starter uh, to a vehicle that is built to play for a college football playoff and contend. So, I can assure you, Coop, you're not alone. In <laughs> right. a lot of a lot of people in Eugene, I think, feel very similar about that whole Dante mm-hmm. Moore situation, but it kind of played out the way it did. And, and Austin Novosad was. I think a pretty darn good rebound to, in terms of just getting back, getting somebody to, to fill in there. So uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got more uh, interview with Cooper Patagna, a national recruiting analyst for 24-7 Sports. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. And we're back. All right, Cooper, I was debating on what type of question to ask you here. I wanted it to be NIL focused. I don't know if I wanted to go Division Street and specifically Oregon or just kind of like an overarching, like how important is this to recruiting? I think I've kind of decided that I want to ask the the overarching question. And for you in the last couple of years as a national recruiting analyst for 24-7 and the the rise of NIL, just – where have you seen this take recruits? Just how important is it? Or is it more of like a person-to-person basis? Is it um, what programs are really hinging their potential recruits on, like in their ability to get these guys committed? Just where have you seen NIL just completely change the recruiting landscape? Well, I'll say this. You know, I've had some unique insight this offseason. Um, it's bigger than I thought it was. Mm-hmm. I'll say that. Um I thought maybe it was just kind of case by case. I mean, it, it, it's controlling the narrative out there. I mean, it's it's very real. It's very legit. Um, 
more than likely if there's a player that's being recruited and like even I mean it's happening at the group of five level too right um it's legit you know and I I think it's coast to coast and I think we're we're seeing it kind of run rampant and if you're not involved you're being left behind right I think there's different ways to go about it but NIL is so fascinating right now you look at some of the states uh state legislation wise you look at texas uh what they're what they're doing and i think they came out with an announcement two weeks ago uh basically implying that the ncaa would have no autonomy in enforcing their bylaws right uh with with their programs Mm -hmm. there and then you have texas a&m arkansas going internal uh with their third-party collective so like the 12th man basically is you know a fundraising arm <laughs> right for for texas a&m so uh it's it's crazy uh and i think the ncaa a lot of people don't notice this but they got a new president in march right he used to be the former governor of the state of massachusetts right so i guess he wanted a new challenge he certainly got himself one um but it's hard i, I don't it, it seems to me the genie is is out of the, the bottle, right? So I don't know yeah. how you really put it back in. And then all of a sudden, you know, you kind of want to, uh, in, in terms of market value, um, I, I don't even know where you go with those conversations. So to me, at least the conversations that I've had behind the scenes, I think more, and let me preface it this way, more with the players that are already in college. So when it comes via the transfer portal, Mm-hmm. I think that's where you're, you're seeing the majority of the activity. That being said, you know, what people want to call pay for play and, you know, proactive uh, recruiting, I think it comes into it. But I think that's a little bit more situational, right? I think it's more about talent retainment and then talent acquisition via the portal. Um, and then there's specifically going to be a handful of, you know, deals out there for guys that are maybe potentially ranked in the top 250 or you know guys yeah. at premium positions yeah it's a unique thing where there there is obviously value to seeing players prove themselves in college football before you quote unquote hand out the bag so it makes sense that the portal is where a lot of that is going i know i said that like such a, an old guy <laughs> I, but it, it makes sense and i guess i'm curious from your perspective of because i guess this Trying to think of the timeline of when you were at Oregon and, and where NIL was at at the time, but how, how what kind of conversations I guess were you guys having about? I'm not even going to get into strategy because I'm going to get you guys in trouble. But just like how, how prevalent was it as a as a as kind of a, a shifting part of the sport when you were even working at a school like Oregon? Like how much? What kind of conversations were you guys having about it? I wonder. We, we knew it was coming, but nobody had any idea. You know, like here's the thing: like we're football people. Right. I mean, this has to do with dollars and cents. I mean, a a lot of this stuff, no pun intended. I mean, it's 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 above our pay grade. Right. So when you start asking a a director of recruiting who's getting paid X amount of money and a head coach, even if they're they're making a, you know, a a very uh, solid salary, it's like I've never worked in this. I have no idea what it looks like. Mm -hmm. Every state is different. Right. This you start to get into the conversation where. This is this is like nothing we've ever seen before, and it's outside outside our, our realm of expertise. So, I think we tried to do what we could to say, 
hey, listen, we know you're going to have a lot of questions uh, about NIL and, and your name, image, and likeness and potentially your earning power. We'll do the best we can when you get here. And I think at that point, everybody else was in the same boat. It was completely reactionary. Since then, a lot of teams have started to figure this out, you know, and it's slowly catching on now to where I think people are starting to get a little bit more organized. They -hmm. understand the ins and outs. um, But now you got the IRS involved, right? Like there's just there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff going on and and how people are going to navigate this. Every state is different. Uh, The NCAA is still trying to to get their house in order in terms of how they're going to enforce rules. So it's the wild, wild West. Um, and I can tell you this, the money that is being thrown around, especially in the transfer market, it's like, it's, it's a lot more than you think, right? Like it's, yeah. it's not like, Oh, here's a couple thousand dollars here. It's a couple thousand. It's like, no, it's, it's, it's legit money, right. For, for a year or two, whatever it is. So, um, the whole thing's been super fascinating to watch. And in a lot of ways, honestly, Eric and Jared, I'm 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 happy I'm here talking to you guys and not inside a building trying to figure it out because <laughs> imagine doing all imagine doing everything right, right? When it comes to recruiting, like traditional recruiting. Imagine identifying a prospect early, evaluating him, prioritizing him on, on, on your board, team recruiting him, getting to campus multiple times, making sure that he is lined up academically. And then all of a sudden it comes to decision time and it comes down to money. Mm. Yeah. All the other stuff doesn't even matter. Right. And it's the exception of the rule now, in my opinion, is the guys out there that are like, you know what? The money will always be there. The money will not always be there. So the money is a huge, huge piece of the process for a lot of these guys. And like I said, I think more collegiately than at the high school level, but it's, it's certainly from uh, our side of the fence, it's difficult to kind of evaluate. It's like, Oh, Hey, great job by this position coach. You know, he got his third, you know, four-star receiver. It's like, Oh, is he a good recruiter? Or (laughs) I have no idea. Right. Like, I don't, I don't know. I've, I've had the same thought. I put I often kind of, in terms of looking for content, aggregate the, the recruiting rankings for the Pac-12 or whatever the conferences are, and just to kind of put it out there. I do at times go, is, is that guy a good recruiter or, or does he just have a little extra money he can toss in some pockets that, that finalize these deals? And obviously you have to establish some relationships. So I don't want to be too reductive, but it's questions you have to ask at this point, which is weird. It almost feels like you just have to check the boxes in terms of the recruitment, right? Like everything I just previously mentioned, like, okay, like show me that you care, show me that you're invested, Mm -hmm. show me that you're going to develop me. And then at the end of the day, okay, great. Now you can, you can have a seat at the table, but ultimately at the end of the day, it's going to come down to dollars and cents. Right. So crazy, crazy world we're living in. Do you think that there's just going to be a, a natural like course correction for NIL, like where the the investment into these players just doesn't meet that money? Or is it going to be like an outside source like the IRS coming in or Charlie Baker, the great Charlie Baker coming in and, and establishing some <laughs> new NIL rules? Right. I think it's going to be I think it's going to be a course correction. Here's the biggest advantage that the players have right now, in my opinion. 
none of these programs have no idea what the other programs are bidding. Mm-hmm. Imagine just blind bidding for a player. All right, so like, yeah. let's take Jaden Rashada for example. Nico Imailieva, number two ranked player for us last year. Supposedly, I'm just throwing out some vague numbers, right? But the numbers that I heard, eight million over four years, right? Mm-hmm. Something of the sorts. I I could be wrong. Rashada's deal was rumored to be anywhere from like eleven and a half to thirteen million. Rashada is the oldest quarterback in the top two four seven. He had the highest interception rate of any quarterback in the top two four seven. And listen, if like if if that's Florida's guy, if that's Miami's guy, okay. But the number two quarterback in the country just set the market at eight mil. Where are we getting the five million dollar discrepancy from? Yeah. Yeah. So to me, there's so many, you know, we're just throwing things at the wall. There's a lot of blind navigating here. And then I the other part of this is like you know, I'll use Florida as an example. Is Billy Napier in on that conversation or is that just the Florida collective <laughs> saying, hey, we'll just get done whatever we need to get done? Because if I was Billy Napier and I'm saying, hold on, Tennessee quarterback just set the market at eight. Can we get this guy four over four? That leaves us $9 million to go out there and build up the rest of the roster, right? And now you're kind of looking at it like a salary cap, right? It's a little bit different. <laughs> right. So – I think that's where it will come in. But the the only way that happens is is if there's a national registry for these transactions. So every NIL deal that is to be reported, not marketing deal, but transactional deal, that has to be in a national registry. And I, I don't think it would be so like Oregon – sign X player for X amount of money. I think it would be Pac-12 program, um, you know, sign X player for X amount of money. That way it kind of mm-hmm. it, it leaves it a little bit to be anonymous. But then you start to have a better feel for positional value. I think the hardest part for a lot of these coaches and a lot of these administrators out there is like, wait, how much is the top tackle going for? And then you got a street agent saying, well, the top tackle is going for this. I'd be like, hell no, absolutely not. No, he isn't. Who are you? What are you talking about? Right? So you have a lot of people that I think are just completely uneducated, smartly trying to take advantage of a system that has zero regulation around it. Mm-hmm. So that, that's where we are. That's what we got seems to me like transparency is kind of the issue here and that the fact that there is none. And I think your point to some sort of national registry, that makes a ton of sense. I think everybody would benefit from transparency. The fan base, the fan base of the schools were, would benefit. So they actually knew what was being offered and, and it might eliminate some of the fun banter because every recruit, you know, wants to every fan base wants to say, well, we didn't get that guy because this school paid him X. Well, now we actually know what was paid. And, right. and, and then the coaching staffs, as you said, could actually know or, or the NIL collectives could actually set the market properly for the recruits. It's probably good to know what everybody else is getting paid as well. So, I, yeah, it seems like that would make a ton of sense. But because it makes so much sense, it's probably not something that will ever come into, <laughs> come into place. Unfortunately. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. 
Um, uh, we're going to wrap it there, Cooper. Uh, we, we, we spent the last half running off on some NIL stuff because I thought it got fun. But we'll have to have you back on, run through some more player evaluations. That was the reason we wanted to have you on to start with. But um, <laughs> I can, I can squeeze in one. Who, who do we want to hear about? Uh, hear about the big boy? Let's do the big boy. Let's do yeah. LaCroix. LaCroix. Well, he – all right. So, like I said earlier, I mean, the biggest thing with him is, like, you got to get excited about the size – Six eight, three hundred and sixty five pounds, and and I will say this: I mean, there was probably a time last year I got to see him week two uh, at Clay Chalkville when they played uh, Briarwood. Christopher Vizina, top two four seven quarterback, who ended up signing with uh, with Clemson. He was probably closer to probably three eighty, three ninety at the time, and he moved pretty well. We saw him in February at Atlanta at the Under Armour Combine. That's when he weighed in around three sixty five. Mm-hmm. He had trimmed down considerably, and I, I think he's like an above-average athlete. I don't know if he's a good athlete, but he's he's an above-average athlete. And Andrew and I really talked about this. You just need him to be an above-average athlete because the mm-hmm. feet and the body quickness are good enough, and the wingspan is seven foot plus, and the arms are thirty-six and a half, which are elite. Right when when you start kind of stacking that up to some of the top players in the NFL at that position. But that radius, right, in terms of the tackle position, that that area that he has to cover, he is very difficult to get around, right? And then on top of that, he's an immovable object. There's not a lot of guys that have the ability to go speed to power, move a 365-pound human being off the point of attack. So that's what we like about him. I don't foresee him being – I think he could play guard. I just don't see that happening unless Oregon's got a, a really, really good situation there, right? Uh, and I know they got Connerly. I'm trying to think who the other guy would be. Um, but, you know, I, I, he is a guy that wants to play early. I think he could play either side, right tackle, left tackle, depending on the scheme. And, you know, the comparisons we have for him are Dewan Jones, who I believe won the fourth round of Cleveland Browns, played for Ohio State last year. And then Orlando Brown, right? Um, mm-hmm. Who plays uh, for who, who played for the Kansas City Chiefs? Believe he got cut. Won the Super Bowl, played at Oklahoma, but was another bad body that got it together at OU. And it's it's no coincidence he's got both these guys play in the AFC North, right? Which is just no. a ground and pound division. Yeah. And I think that's a good way to to get a good sense of okay, what does Oregon want to do? And they're just going to want to lean on you, right? And then, you know, with the play action and Bo Nix. And I think it's a great pickup. I love him. He's physical. He's nasty. He needs he needs some polish, right? Like, he needs a little bit of work. He needs to be technically refined. Whatever, right? Take the size. Take the clay. Figure it out. Get him in your program. Get him trimmed down a little bit. And then see what you're working with. So, I love it for them. Um, honestly, it kind of like befuddles me. I mean, who are, who are the contenders? Arkansas, Kentucky, Ole Miss. Yep, yep. It kind of shocked me. I, I don't know if there's if I'm missing something there, but Alabama's kind of got their own way of going about it. That didn't surprise me. I was surprised Auburn wasn't wasn't in it, uh, and with it just kind of being a down year at tackle. I'm surprised he, you know, there there weren't more legitimate suitors at the top. But I mean, I think that's like if you're Oregon, don't overthink it. Go get that guy, and you know, figure it out later. 
He's Kupatagna. You can find his work at 24-7 Sports. There's a great, again, great uh, recruiting podcast shows with Andrew Ivins. You guys should definitely check those out. A lot of you probably have seen that work. Um, this will be the first of, I think, two pods this week. Jared and I are kind of figuring out what we're doing on the back end with Matt still on vacation. But um, we will find something for Thursday or Friday. Thank you for listening to this interview. Um, and we will be back again later this week. I'm Eric Scopel. And for Jared Mack, talk to you later, folks. Peace.